It's a chilly morning just after sunrise, and 19-year-old Beau Verdan is guiding a flat-bottom boat down a bayou in Terrebonne Parish, Louisiana. On board with him are his grandfather and uncle. The Verdans are members of the United Homa Nation, a Native American community on Louisiana's Gulf Coast. Like many Homa families, the Verdans have lived off of what they catch for generations. But that's changed in the five years since BP's Deepwater Horizon disaster. You see a lot of animals with oil, oil on them. And the, you see fish dying. If the fish are dying, the shrimp's gonna die because the Verdans got nothing to eat. Crabs are going to die because they ain't got nothing to eat. So during the BP, it just killed a lot of stuff. Today, the men are trawling for shrimp. Bo's Uncle Ernie hauls in a long net that's floating behind the boat. Only a handful of shrimp are caught in the mesh. And slowly picking back up. But we really didn't have no good of it. We had our right shrimp season, but not the best. You ready to go? Speed up a little bit. The challenges facing the Homa didn't start with Deepwater Horizon. Since the 1930s, oil companies have dredged thousands of miles of canals for pipelines through the wetlands, destroying natural barriers that separated freshwater marshes and saltwater from the Gulf. As the saltwater encroaches, it kills plants and erodes the land. Bo's grandpa, Nacy, has been fishing and hunting here since he was nine years old. Now he's 67 and has lost his voice. He scrawls something on a notepad and hands it to a community organizer, David Goth, who's accompanied us today. As Goth reads his words, Nacy gestures with his cane. The gentleman said, that used to be land. We used to trap for animals on the land. Now we fish for crabs in that same spot. Nacy uses his hands to show that the bayou used to be only a little wider than his boat. Now, the distance between the tall marsh grasses on either side of the waterway is at least three times as wide. As we glide across the shallow sapphire water, we pass dozens of signposts warning that we're crossing oil pipelines. Just as often, we pass what locals call skeleton trees. Stark white and devoid of foliage, they are dying a slow death. Bald eagles and cranes perch on their barren limbs. That crosses right there. See, look at the tree. Look about a tree. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Jutting up from the grass between two skeleton trees is a cluster of white crosses, a sinking burial ground. Right up here where we had an island of 124 families 30, 25, 30 years ago. It's right out here. And uh, y'all can see it from here. And now, on that same island, there's 24 families left. Every time something happens, a hurricane, they lose something, they move it further north, further north, further north. If the Homa were a sovereign nation, like many Native American tribes, they might have more resources to mitigate the rising sea levels, hurricanes, and oil spills that threaten their land and their way of life. But the federal government has never recognized the Homa as a tribe. When the Homa submitted a petition for federal recognition in 1985, it took nine years for the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or BIA, to process their request, and then it was denied. The Homa filed an appeal in 1996, which is still pending nearly two decades later. 
Back on dry land, members of the Homa Nation have convened at the Dulac Community Center for a day-long event. Long folding tables are set up in the courtyard and heaping piles of fresh crab are spread across them. People gather round and dig in, cracking open the crab shell and sucking out the meat. United Homa Nation Chief Thomas Dardar takes a break from the festivities to sit under a chiki, a traditional Homa shelter made from palmetto. Federal recognition would bring uh, that benefit to our tribe where the tribe could be self-sustaining. Uh, then all these other uh, issues, coastal erosion, coastal land loss, we would have, we'd be at the table with a, with a stronger voice and we could levy some of the dollars that we'd be receiving to, to better uh, build resiliency for our coastal communities. The United Homa Nation currently operates as a nonprofit, relying on grants and donations. Chief Dardar says that presented a problem for the tribe in the wake of the Deepwater Horizon spill. In the first year and a half after the disaster, BP paid more than $6.2 billion to those who were affected. People had to apply for the money, and the claims process involved lots of complicated paperwork. Our education level in the tribe, uh, you know, being that education wasn't afforded to us until the late 60s, early 70s, a lot of our elders and, our, and some of our young people, you know, uh, don't read and write that well, so they came to us to put it together for them, help them out. The Tribal Council applied for $160,000 so they could have the staff and resources necessary to help thousands of HOMA members file claims for lost income, health effects, and environmental damages. And finally we got a notice in the mail and said, look, although we respect and cherish the relationship we have, uh, we can't do nothing for you because you're not fairly recognized. As a result, Dardar says a lot of the Homa Nation's 17,000 members got a bad deal and took BP's one-time offer of $25,000. The irony here is that oil companies themselves are partly to blame for the fact that the Homa aren't federally recognized. It was called the uh, Louisiana Land and Exploration Company. And, and this is a big, you know, oil interest. Mark Miller is a history professor at Southern Utah University who has published two books about the federal acknowledgement process. In 1990, while the Homa's petition was first pending, several Louisiana congressmen introduced bills in both the U.S. House and Senate to afford the tribe federal recognition without having to go through the BIA. In his research, Miller discovered that the Louisiana Land and Exploration Company fought hard against the legislation. You know, I found a whole, you know, folder of documentation where they were challenging the validity of the Homa Indians, both as they said they were never a tribe, which is one facet, but then they, I, I found they were calling them the so-called Homa Indians, you know, in those documents. They also made it really clear to these congressmen and also the federal government that they were reviewing the the petition material from the, the UHN. They were taking depositions to challenge their identity, and they were you know, really raising the stakes. The pressure worked. Both bills died in committee. Six years later, Congressman Billy Tozen reintroduced his HOMA Recognition Act, only this time it came with a long list of exemptions that prevented the tribe from claiming land rights that would conflict with oil company interests. Even that bill didn't go anywhere. According to the Center for Responsive Politics, Tozen received more than $600,000 in donations from the oil and gas industry, and that doesn't include his first nine years in office. 
After leaving office in 2005, Tozen became a lobbyist for a firm hired by ConocoPhillips, which had by that time acquired the Louisiana Land and Exploration Company as a subsidiary. ConocoPhillips paid Tozen's firm $1 million for its services. The firm also lists BP as a long-standing client. Miller says that while all this was going on in Congress, the BIA's process also exhibited a bias that favored oil companies. The BIA kind of, it, it looks kind of more skeptically at a, at a group of people if it finds that their motives for claiming to be an Indian tribe are, you know, less than maybe, you know, just spiritual or, you know, stereotypically native reasons for wanting the land, you know what I mean? And so you will see that in all these documentations that they will kind of challenge the home of, well, you know, one of the reasons they organize is because they want to, you know, land claims, get our land back from the oil company. Miller also says the BIA has been unusually slow, even for a flawed bureaucracy, in reviewing the HOMA's petition, especially considering the strength of the HOMA's case. The state of Louisiana recognizes the HOMA as a tribe, and numerous records document the tribe's history as far back as the 17th century. As night falls on the Dulac Community Center, a Zydeco band is tuning up in the gymnasium, where Monique Verdan just screened her documentary, My Louisiana Love. The film traces the long history of injustice behind the challenges her people are facing today. Years ago, one of her relatives stood with a shotgun and stopped the Louisiana Land and Exploration Company from plowing through a Homa burial ground, the same burial ground that's sinking into the sea today. BP really was like the sucker punch of like, this is not going away, it's just getting bigger. It's becoming a bigger problem. Um, and so, you know, I think that one of the big questions for the Homa is um, what happens when our communities no longer exist. And if we do have to leave, what do we take with us? And what do we make sure that we protect? Is it those burial grounds? You know, is it our filet that we put in our gumbo? Is it, you know, is it our language? What is it? Um, what's most important and valuable? And I think that that's, as a people, we will have to decide that or it will be decided for us. Everybody get up. The Homa are fighting hard to control the fate of their land and culture. They've partnered with university researchers and environmental groups, and they hosted a convergence of climate justice frontline communities from across the nation, from ranchers fighting the Keystone XL in Nebraska to folks working to stop mountaintop removal in Appalachia. Meanwhile, the BIA has committed to revamping its federal acknowledgement process, but so far the agency hasn't set a new timeline for making a decision on the HOMA's 30-year-old petition. From Terrebonne Parish, Louisiana, for Making Contact, I'm Anna Simonton. Let's follow the